it being the final Sunday in the month of September, it's time for us to join Howard Parkin for The Manx Sky at Night. Now, after the last edition of the programme, Howard knew that he and his wife would have to go across for a week or so. And so, knowing that when he came back that they would be self-isolating, he recorded a programme for us so that we would have our feature as usual. However, there have been some very significant developments in the last week in the world of space exploration. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to play you the first part of the programme that we recorded before Howard went away, all to do with our Manx skies in the next few weeks. Howard will be explaining what we can see. And then when we've had our music break, I'll be ringing Howard where he is self-isolating at home in Onken, And we can have a chat on the phone about all the latest developments so that we can bring you right up to date with what's happening in space exploration news. And that's what we'll be doing for this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And that very familiar introduction tells us that it is time once again for us to join Howard Parkin, bringing us the September edition of the Manx Sky at Night, looking forward to our glorious October Getting even darker skies. Faster, my Howard. Good evening Faster and welcome. Faster, my Judith. Good evening. It's great to be here again. Well, this is your favourite time of the year, isn't it? Oh, very much so. Very much so. It's uh, the nights are getting darker, and uh, the weather's not been too bad, really. We've had some clear nights, some cloudy nights, obviously, but um, the the nights drawing in the way they do. Since only a few days ago, literally, we had the autumnal equinox. That's it now. And of course, next month, uh, by the time we do our next programme, I think the clocks go back on the day of our next programme. So um, we'll be even darker skies. So us astronomers can go outside and revel in the wonderful things we see in the Manx night sky. Well, later in the programme, we will, as usual, be talking about what is happening in the world of space. And there's always something. And and I think there's a few new topics for us to talk about this week. Mm. But let's stay to uh, home skies for the moment, getting darker earlier and Mm -hmm. staying darker longer in the mornings lots to see so first of all the plow yes i always like to tell people this is the time of the year when everybody or anybody who knows the slightest bit about astronomy can recognize the plow a lot of the time you can't recognize it because it does rotate around the north celestial pole the pole star but this is the time of year as the skies go dark as the evenings draw in the plow is sitting on the northern horizon it's like a a postcard. It's exactly as you imagine the plough to look. And that is the first, if you like, indicator of the autumnal sky or indeed the wonders of the winter sky to follow. So looking due north, you can't miss the plough. And of course, I always tell people, and perhaps some people haven't heard this one yet, but use the end two stars of the plough and go straight up till you come to a star. That's the star Polaris that the heavens rotate around. And that gives us our latitude, 54 degrees, which is what the captain of the Ben McCree uses to get back across the Irish Sea. Do you know, I think it is still wonderful after all these years and with all this technology 
that you can still steer a ship by Absolutely. the stars. Absolutely. And I'll give you one better than that. I'm jumping ahead probably to probably next month. But there is a star which we can talk about. I mentioned in a minute, actually, um, a star called Thommelhort. And it's the principal star in the southern fish. And one of our autumnal constellations, the square of Pegasus, which I often talk about, you follow the left hand, sorry, the right hand line of that star, those two stars, down to a star that's on the horizon, on the southern horizon. That's the star Fomalhaut. That star was used by Jim Lovell on board Apollo 13 to work out where they were so they could navigate themselves back to the Earth after the explosion that nearly uh, cost them their lives. Yeah, so even in sophisticated yep. space exploration, Absolutely. you can still rely upon the constants. Yes, and that's, what it's, that's what's fascinating about it. Now, we're often talking about the planets, and I'm sure we probably will do again in, in a few moments, but are there any stars that are likely to appear in the autumn skies that we wouldn't see at any other time? Well, you have the square of Pegasus, of course, which is the first sort of... It's not bright, it's very faint. I mean, I often say to people, you look at the summer constellations and the bright stars of what we call the summer triangle, which are still quite clearly visible because as the nights are drawing in, the summer stars are still there. But between the summer triangle, which we spoke about at length over the last few months, and the stars of winter, which are coming sort of after midnight or from December onwards, November, December onwards, you've got a patch of sky which is bereft of anything bright other than Mars at the moment, which is right bang in the middle of that area, but that's another story, we'll talk about that later. But this group of stars called the Square of Pegasus is a big, massive square. And often I say this, and um, the stars, we see them on drawings and diagrams and magazines and you think how small they look, but in reality the sky is huge and this big square is quite unmistakable. And this square, as I say, you follow the right hand down to the star Fomalhaut I mentioned a moment ago, but this big square is a great test for seeing the faint stars because have a look inside the square and you can't miss it it's due south at around 11 o'clock midnight this time of year see if you can see any stars inside it and if you can that um, gives you an idea of how good the sky is at first glance there's nothing in the middle of the square but you'll be surprised once your eyes get used to the dark again remember get your eyes used to the dark just how many stars you'll see within this constellation of pegasus the winged horse that perseus flew on as he was um, flying past, he saw Andromeda chained to a rock and he, he killed the monster and they all lived happily ever after. Wonderful mythology, which is, of course, very, very rich area of the sky for this mythology uh, of the autumnal constellations. You know, you're so right about this business of adjusting your eyes to the, the darkness. Mm. And it does take a little while. I enjoy walking, as you know. And uh, bearing, in, bearing in mind what you have said on this programme... I found that if I'm walking along a, a road that's got a fair bit of traffic on it, I'm walking on the pavement, I now look away when there's a car coming towards me with its headlights to keep on. night vision. Because mm -hmm. it takes such a long time for my eyes to readjust and see where I'm, where I'm walking. They reckon it takes half an hour to really get your eyes attuned to the dark. Um, obviously, that, that's quite a long time for most people unless they're really interested. But they do reckon if you're doing... I won't say professional meteor spotting, but if you're doing meteor spotting, they do recommend it at least half an hour to see the very faint ones. And on a moonless night, it's just amazing. I just love looking at the sky on a... Um, without my telescope, I just love going outside and sitting on the on the chair outside in the back garden because we, we're fortunate we face due south. There are street lights near me, but the the shower the shower, the house shadows that light, so I can just sit there and revel and look at the thing. And who knows, you'll. I won't guarantee you this, not like my meteor spotting, but if you go outside and you stay outside for about half an hour, 
you'll see probably a meteor. You'll pro almost certainly see some satellites going over. And um, who knows what else you might be able to make out of it. It's a particularly clear night, the Milky Way, maybe some planets. At the moment, we've got so many planets around. It's unbelievable. I was looking the other day and um, I actually told you a fib last week, uh, last month. I told you you wouldn't see Mars till after midnight. And on my way home from the studio, uh, there was Mars popped up over the horizon just about <laughs> half past ten. So I thought, oops. Again, something that you were saying last month that is so very, very true. It's all about enjoyment exactly. and the casual observer. Mm -hmm. The casual observer can get so much pleasure just from looking at the beauty yeah. of it all. Let's talk about the moon, Howard. Yes. Well, October is a fascinating month because we've got two full moons. So therefore, strictly speaking, and it depends by which definition you use, we've got a blue moon in October. But not only is it a blue moon, it's a wimpy moon. And we've got two wimpy moons in October. I thought we'd outlawed that word on we this programme. Well, I invented it and I'm sticking to it. The official name <laughs> is micro moon. Super moons are the big, big moons that we get, which aren't much bigger, really. It's a little rubbish. Um, slightly bigger than normal. That's the super moon. But the alternative to that is the micro moon, or I call it the wimpy moon. And both the full moons of October are wimpy moons. Permission to speak, sir? No, not granted. <laughs> 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 Please, can I ask a question? Go on. Just remind us, because this business, sometimes you look at the moon and it does look huge. But it's just the way we're looking mm -hmm. at it. It's not because the moon has suddenly got no, massive, is it? It's the same size. Just remind us what, what that phenomenon what you need is. To, it's because you're looking at the horizon and you're looking at the moon next to a tree, a house or even the sea. It looks much bigger. And if you don't believe me, and we've done this before, and it's, it's a great opportunity to tell people again, especially with two full moons in October, look at the moon. And hold your arm at arm's length and put your little fingernail over the moon. It will completely cover it. Your little fingernail is roughly one degree in, in, in angular dimension and the moon is half a degree. It will more than cover the moon easily. No matter how big it is, whether it's a super moon, wimpy moon or whatever moon you want to call it, you'll still do it. If you do it when it's on the horizon, you'll be surprised it covers it. But then when you see the moon higher up in the sky, it looks much, much smaller. It's the same size that it was on the horizon, except there's nothing to give you reference to it. Now tell us what we're going to look forward to this month. Well, there's so much to look forward to. As I, not just the moons. I mean, just to finish with the moons, of course, I hadn't realised this till I was just coming up to do this um, uh, broadcast tonight for you. The actual full moon at the end of October is a Halloween. It's a full moon. No one's mentioned it. All my books and magazines, believe not, we do plan this, you know, people people listening. We do have uh, references to make sure we know what we're talking about, honestly. Um, and nobody mentioned that it's a Halloween full moon. That's going to get the kids wild, I suspect. Uh, it will be a wimpy moon, as I say, but it's also a blue moon. The term blue moon is given when you get two moons in one month. That's one definition. But the purist out there will say, oh, no, Mr. Parkin, that's totally wrong. It's when you get four moons in one season. That's the the blue moon, which, of course, is going to be the same. when You get three, two in one month because it's the fourth one of the autumnal season. So it's a blue moon. So the phrase once in a blue moon is supposed to indicate something that it happens very, very infrequently. It happens every year. We get at least one full because there are 13 um, full moons a year and there are 12 months in the year. By definition, one month will have two full moons in it and it happens every year. Apart from when it happens in February, then you get strange things happening because you actually get a month with no moon and no full moon when you get February because of the 28 days. Yes, but really, we've just exploded another myth. Once in, a, once in a blue moon is not really no, an appropriate it's expression. not that rare at all, no. 
Well, we'd just better play the music that goes with it then, I hadn't we? I think that we? might be a good idea. I found your letter in my mailbox today You were just checking if I was OK And if I miss you, well, you know what they say Just once rare as they would have us believe. Mary Black, once in a very blue moon. And joining us now, live on the line, in isolation from his home in Onken, it's Faster My Howard Parkin, the real Howard Parkin, as opposed to the <laughs> recorded one. Faster My Judith, nice to hear from you. Well, Howard, uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, you're in your 10th no day of self-isolation, having been yep. across for a little while. And uh, we, we thought we got the whole thing sorted out with a recorded programme, but really things have just been too interesting, haven't they? Uh, they but, have. Um, I couldn't believe it. I mean, this happened last time, I think, when I was away. Um, I think it was in March, actually, way back, uh, before all this horrible virus stuff happened. And um, there's about two or three news stories broke within literally days of my leaving the island. And uh, obviously when I came back, uh, we did a similar thing. And uh, you've just... There's always something going on in the world of space and astronomy these days. It's incredible. It doesn't a week go by without something of note happening. Well, this is great, isn't it? This is this. It shows it is, really. you know what what current item it is. But just before this, we're, we're saying that you're self isolating, having mm-hmm. been across. But what I'm also mindful of, Howard, is that you've got some classes starting at the Isle of Man College, haven't you? You've got some. I have indeed. Are you That's are you going reasons. to be out and ready for those? <laughs> indeed. That's one of the reasons I came back when we did. Um, my classes start in the middle of what we call International Space Week. How appropriate is that? 
The first class starts on Wednesday, the 7th of October at the um, University College. Um, I believe there are still some spaces. There's always spaces available because these classes are obviously very uh, flexible how many go to them. So if anybody's interested in talking and learning more about the Manx Nights guy, get in touch with the University College at the Isle of Man there. And then... Um, Tell me you'd like to come along, and I look forward to seeing you. It's a 12-week course. It, it's spread out over the period of about three or four months, actually. So if anyone's interested, uh, that's why I'm back. <laughs> and what's the best way of people joining in those, Howard? Where's the best way to get best information? Just get the, uh, the college, uh, UCM, University College of the Isle of Man, 648-200. Speak to them there, and they'll, um, they'll give you all the details. But I can tell you uh, now on air, the first class is at 7 o'clock um, on Saturday, the 7th of October. On the seventh, and they run then for twelve weeks um, with a, with a break in November, a break it for Christmas, obviously, and then we run right through to give ourselves a chance to see different features and objects in the night sky, and again to um, find out what's going on in the world of space travel and everything else because it it changes as I say so frequently. So six four eight two hundred, nice easy number to remember, and the starting date is seventh of October at seven p.m. If you would like to meet with Howard and and get some face-to-face instruction in the delights of the Manx sky, that's the place to do it. So to do it. now let's tackle, we've got Venus and the Moon that we're going to be talking about. So uh, whichever yeah. one you would like to tell us about first, Howard. Well, probably the most dramatic news um, from an astronomy point of view, as opposed to from a space travel point of view, was the news um, announced only a few days ago, literally it was about a week, 10 days ago, actually, while I was still across. And then this is the news that they've discovered these gases in the atmosphere of Venus, which ordinarily can only be caused by biological life, by organic materials and being caused by a process of life. And these particular um, gases, um, they can't find any other explanation for them other than the fact that maybe, and this is a big maybe, that there is life of some nature floating around in the, the upper atmosphere of the planet Venus. Now, Venus has been, I won't say of no interest to us, but it is not as exciting as Mars because we know Venus is very hostile. The surface is very, very hot. Um, It rains sulfuric acid rain. The atmospheric pressure is massive. Uh, It's completely cloud-covered. It's really a very inhospitable place. But now they've made this announcement that maybe there could be some form of floating life um, in the upper clouds of Venus. Um, We're not talking about little green men or red men or whatever color you want to call them. We're talking about primitive biological life that obviously is a process that we believe in astronomy and in astrobiology and all that sort of stuff now. And we believe that life obviously evolves from amoeba and bacteria and then into different forms of life and eventually evolves into sentient beings like ourselves. And we're not saying for one minute that's what's happening on Venus. We're saying that life may well exist in a very primitive nature in the upper atmosphere of Venus. And that's very exciting because up until literally weeks ago, um, the idea of life on Venus has been totally dismissed for well, for many, many years since the Russians went there with the Venera spacecraft back in the, the 1970s. Which just goes to show you should never, ever discount any possibility where the skies are concerned, can you? I'll tell you a funny story about that, actually, and it really brought it home to me because I heard this story, and when I came home, obviously, as you say, I'm in isolation. I'm just going through all my files and just tidying things up. I found a newspaper cutting from the Liverpool Echo in the 1960s. And it's one of these sort of uh, art, art things with cartoons and all sorts of stuff. And it's actually speculating on life in the upper atmosphere of Venus. 
And I thought, wow, that was in the 60s, and all of a sudden it's come back again in the 20s, 2020s. <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. If you, want, if you want a glimpse into the future, the Liverpool Echo is the place that's to find place. it, isn't that's it? That's the one to look for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's amazing. So what's the next step then, Howard? How, how is this going to be investigated? Well, very fortuitously, the, the European Space Agency have got a spacecraft called Bepi Colombo that is actually going to Mercury. But to get to Mercury, the the process by which we get spacecraft to planets these days is what we call using gravitational assists. It's a bit complicated, but you use the gravity of a planet to give you a slingshot um, to the other planet you want to go to. And Bepi Colombo is flying past Venus in the next few weeks, literally. It isn't planning to have taken any major uh, measurements or anything else, maybe just test the instruments, but um, we've actually got a spacecraft that will hopefully uh, specifically look for, if it can, um, if there's any evidence of, of these gases, of this material, which, of course, will, I'm sure, in the next four or five years' time, there'll be um, a spacecraft specially going to Venus to investigate this phenomenon. But, do you know, I'm just listening to what you're saying, Howard, and the idea of, you know, oh, there's something already going past and they're going to have a look and see what they can find out. Just extraordinary. It makes it sound like like taking a trip down the motorway almost and stopping off at the services, doesn't it? I've just read a book, actually, while I've been isolating. I've read a book on the Martian um, Curiosity rover, the one that went to Mars in, in 2012. And, you know, obviously it's my interest. It's not everyone's interest. But this is the book written by one of the chief designers of it. And what comes across in that book is this sort of can-do attitude. We want to build a rover, send it to Mars, drill holes in the Martian surface, analyze the, the rock that we get out the holes in an onboard laboratory and send the results back to Earth. And it's, 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 it's almost incredible when you mm. consider what technologically we are capable of doing as, as human beings. Mm-hmm. And um, I just find it incredible. Yeah. Well, it's an, another, at least it's an upside of the, the, your time of self-isolation. You can catch yeah. up on you, sorting out your files and your reading material. Now, come you know, on, Howard. I, I be- made a pledge to myself, actually. I love reading not fiction books. I, I'm always reading fiction books. So I made a pledge, right. I'm now going to start reading one fiction, one non-fiction, one fiction, one non-fiction. Oh. And that's my, if you like, my New Year's resolution. Speaking you'll as be, an astronomer starting the new year in September. You'll be, well, you can, any time you like, you're, you're <laughs> going to be even cleverer than you were all before. Now, oh, come on. never, never. Howard, you, Howard, you, you be- never stop learning. I, I will say that all the time. Before we run out of time, we've got to talk about the moon. What's important about Most the moon? Certainly. I mean, we, we know that Vice President Pence in 2019, it was 18, he made a pledge. No, 19, it was last year. He made a pledge that NASA were going to return to the moon by the end of 2024. And everybody thought, yeah, right, OK, they'll, they'll probably plan it, but it'll get pushed back to 2027 or 6 or 7 or 8 or whatever. Anyway, they've now NASA published the actual schedule of what they're going to do and when. And they are determined, it would appear, to get the, first, the next man and the first woman on the surface of the moon by the end of 2024. They're going to launch an unmanned version of their new rocket in 22, not 21, but 22. Then they're going to send it up in 23 to test everything and do all the other things they need to do. And then they're going to go back to the moon by the end of 2024. And to actually have that penciled into a timetable now by NASA, I find it incredible. We've been thinking about going back to the moon. Last time we went to the moon was 1972. Um, We've been talking about going back to the moon now for decades, obviously. And it really looks as if it's going to happen. And only a couple of days ago, following this announcement, they made another announcement that um, 
Probably the first woman to set foot on the moon is one of the serving 12 lady astronauts they've got at the moment, and it was going through which of the 12 it is likely to be, ones who've got the most experience, and all this sort of stuff. And I find the whole thing just incredible. It's just gathered so much momentum so quickly. Indeed. And the thing that I was just uh, I was just scribbling down the dates there as you were talking, and of course... For so many people, 2024, the moon landing then would be the first time that they have seen somebody step onto the moon. It will be for anyone who's born since 72, mm. or probably even after that, because obviously um, you don't remember in 1972, you've got to be at least, I would say, six or seven to really take notice of it. So yeah. anyone born after 78, my own children, for instance, my son was born in 79, my daughter, no, my son was 78, my daughter was 1980, they've never seen it. No. And they're 40-odd now, you know, it's... Uh, so it, it's a it will... whole new generation, and if you like, there's, the, there's that generation and other generation after that as well. It's incredible. And, uh... Well, exactly. I mean, from your point of view, it would be fascinating to see the differences, the, the vast differences oh, yeah. in the whole, Technology. in the whole, yeah, the whole exploration. But mm. for so many people, it will be just as exciting as it was for us in 1972. I think so, and um, I look forward to it immensely. And. Uh, who knows? I mean, the whole point of going to the moon, of course, is the next step, of course, and the next announcement will be probably in a couple of years' time now when the schedule for going to Mars. Yes. They are, they're talking of getting to Mars by the mid-30s, and that's, that's only 15 years off now. Well, yes, but we've got something closer to hand, haven't we? Because we're waiting for February to see how the, the, the exploration yes, that's the, the, the set the, off. The three spacecraft missions on the way to Mars at the moment, and they're all, they're all performing well, I understand. There was a slight problem with the um, American... Uh, I forgot my name of it for a second. I forgot my name of it. Perseverance. It, the, the Perseverance uh, rover, which NASA is, it's a sister, a sister craft to Curiosity that went in 2012. Um, and that had a problem just after it, um, it left the Earth's orbit on the way to Mars. They had a communication problem, which I understand they've sorted out now. And it was that that prompted me to get the book I've just been reading, because I wanted to know how and why that happened. And it explains it all in the book about the communication, how they change everything. And, you know, they send these things on the way to these planets, and they don't even send the computer programs with them until they get there. Because even with modern technology, they don't want to waste the computer time they've got on, on the spacecraft sitting on the surface of Mars with stuff about landing. They get rid of that, and they put in the, the, the work it's got to do when it's on the surface. It's, it's just technologically mind-blowing, really. Indeed it is. And this is why it is so endlessly fascinating. And as you so wisely say, there is always something for us to learn. There is indeed. Howard, thank you. Well, thank you very much indeed for joining us. We have unfortunately once again been beaten by the clock. But a little reminder that this programme will be available as a podcast. I will put it up there via manxradio.com. I'll put it there when I come off air just after one o'clock tomorrow morning. So a podcast available for you to listen again at your leisure. And all being well, Howard, you will be fit and well and in the studio for the last Sunday in October, where once again we will be taking a look at the Manx sky at night and catching I up. I will indeed, Judith, and I won't be going anywhere until I'm not planning to go anywhere again now for quite some time. I think we're going to stay here in our island and then just enjoy the, the freedom and, and the great pleasure we've got of uh, living here. And uh, we're so lucky, really, when we think about it. Indeed we are. And on that lovely positive note, I wish you a very good night. Faster my Howard. Faster my Judith. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. 